in light of how much the pandemic has impacted everyone, really, but especially adolescents of color and LGBTQ youth, I'm really pleased to say that a generous philanthropist, namely Melinda Gates and her personal office, Pivotal Ventures, has decided to launch a fund to act as a COVID response to the needs of the service providers who are delivering mental health and well-being supports to adolescents of color and LGBTQ youth. Oh, my, my, my. Oh, I am so excited to have as my guest today, Solome Tibibu, who is the director of the Upswing Fund, which you're going to learn more about. Not only is this episode about a very exciting new funding opportunity for mental health providers who are focusing their work on adolescents of color and LGBTQ youth, Not only is this about that amazing opportunity, which is launching today, October 20th, but it's more. You are going to get the opportunity to learn more about Solome Tibibu, the director of the Upswing Fund. This is an amazing individual. If you don't know Solome, you're about to. She's an incredible human being extensive history of work in the mental health space. And I think that she is going to be an integral part of what makes the Upswing Fund a successful effort. And ultimately, and this fits with the mission of the Optimistic Advocate, improve the lives of young people with mental health challenges across the country. Hey, you know what? I, why wait? Let's get this interview started. So tell me, how are you today? How's How are you feeling? I'm good. You know, a lot going up, leading to a big announcement, uh, but I'm excited. But you want to just deal with the elephant in the room, get it out. And then what I want to do is I want to spend an hour talking about you and what led you to this point. That sounds good. I can do that. In light of how much the pandemic has impacted everyone, really, but especially adolescents of color, and LGBTQ youth, I'm really pleased to say that a generous philanthropist, namely Melinda Gates and her personal office, Pivotal Ventures, has decided to launch a fund to act as a COVID response to the needs of the service providers who are delivering mental health and well-being supports to adolescents of color and LGBTQ youth. I'm pleased to say that I'll be leading that and excited to share the news for potential grantees to go ahead to our website and apply for funding. We're excited to act quickly. The goal of the fund is to ensure access to mental health services to adolescents in need. And as potential applicants will see on our site, we'll be able to support them through operating, general operating grants, surge capacity grants to allow them to onboard new clinicians, as well as system enabling grants for those who are working to strengthen the entire ecosystem for adolescents. Oh my goodness, this is huge. 
so how do people apply? They just go to the website. Is there any kind of uh, process? Do you have review committees or how does that get to work? We've been working hard over the last several months with some amazing advisors and other partners that have a lot of experience serving the populations we're looking to reach, as well as in policy and advocacy and beyond. And so we're really excited to make an immediate impact for those direct service providers uh, who are serving those adolescents, as well as the, the system enablers. I talk to providers and families all over the country every week. And, and it is so interesting, this interesting dynamic that is taking place with COVID. So we, we had the old way of doing business in, in terms of providing mental health services. And as far as addressing disparities, it was pretty horrible. In my perspective, it's based on a white person model. It's based on serving white families for better, or for worse. And, and then if you aren't white, you might get great services. You might get lucky. But then also you might not. And then how do you fit that in? So here comes the pandemic, which throws everything on its head. What are your thoughts about that? Do you see us going back to the old way of doing business or is it time to carve out a new direction? And if so, I really want your thoughts on what that new direction should look like. Oh, such a great point, Scott. My opinion is, how could we go back? Even the idea of telehealth, uh, the industry has been inching to evolve toward it, and people are expecting that the adoption of telehealth would take years when the pandemic had required us to adopt in a matter of weeks. And as providers have pivoted and consumers are getting acquainted to all the variety of virtual care and digital options, I think a lot of people are even asking, like, First off, why hadn't this happened sooner? And why were certain barriers put in place, like telehealth policy across state lines and, and the barriers around that? I think a lot of people were asking, you know, why are these things in existence? And why don't we open up the lines to be able to deliver care more accessibly? One of my colleagues, he's on my board, when the pandemic hit and they run a number of drop-in centers for youth and young adults and HIPAA regulations were like, okay, we, we got to relax some of this. And I said to him, well, well <laughs> what's the chance of putting that genie back in the bottle? And it, it probably not. And yet some of my old crotchety colleagues who are in my demographic, which is older than dirt demographic, are, are, are probably going, oh, we can't do that. What do you say to them? Because you're about to head up this grant giving program that's probably going to look a lot different than the old traditional, the way we provide mental health services. Yeah, absolutely. Really important points. Of course, things like HIPAA are in place to protect consumers, and we have to make sure that we are absolutely maintaining privacy and security where we need to. But at the same time, I think we can also be aware of what things were purely just barriers to access to care and are not actually solving the, the problem of quality or safety or privacy. So working across the state lines, that being one of them. And one thing I want to point out that you mentioned earlier about uh, how are things going to change or how should they change really is the pandemic has also inspired a lot of innovation for new solutions to be able to deliver services the example of adolescent mental health 
a lot of youth are at home and they can't go to school. They're not accessing mental health and emotional support anymore because they were receiving that care through schools predominantly. And there have been some pivots to be able to even offer video therapy from home for youth. But if you think about it, uh, maybe an LGBTQ adolescent wasn't even, isn't going to be even comfortable using video technology while they're at home because maybe they're not out yet and their parents are listening in the next room and they're just not comfortable using it. So even novel text-based solutions are arising and I, I believe that there needs to be a funder that can act quickly enough and is flexible and open enough to be able to support innovations like that. And I'm pleased to say that the Upswing Fund could play that role. Have you formalized any kind of research component yet? Because obviously you're, you're looking for innovation. And I know one of the questions that our listeners will be thinking right now as they're listening to this, what's the thought about how you even evaluate this? And what are the metrics you use to evaluate what works, what doesn't? Because you really are talking about creating new and innovative approaches. What will give you comfort that what you're funding is making a difference. Yeah. And I'll also clarify, like our flexibility is also around the types of organizations that could potentially provide that support. So perhaps it's a large organization with national reach that is, has a lot of ancillary programs surrounding adolescent mental health and because of their scale and infrastructure can now disseminate adolescent mental health programming quickly and and easily. That's somebody that we might partner with, even though they're not a traditional mental health provider. In terms of balancing novel solutions with outcomes, certainly outcomes is an important aspect of what we're looking for too. We are asking grantees, how long have they been providing adolescent mental health and well-being support and in what fashion? We do want an idea of how they are collecting data and measuring outcomes internally. We want a sense of what kind of evidence-informed practices they're using around this space. And so definitely we are looking for those things too. Here's one of the things that I always see happen is someone will come up with an innovative idea and it won't be the big organization with the tons of resources so I'm really excited that you're not just looking at those large organizations. It could be a church, it could be a, com- a community center or something maybe that's, that's doing some good work. How do we help underscore and promote the legitimacy of the effort in, in this smaller organization so that it stands just as tall as a big behemoth organization? I want you guys to be successful. And here's what I don't want is that a small organization will get an injection of fund and they'll try to evaluate and do things like some big behemoth organization and then it collapses, right? Yes. Lord, good luck with that one, Solomon. No, it, it does It does make sense, in fact, and I'm really glad you brought that up. To highlight again, our focus is really an emphasis of providers who have competency serving adolescents of color and LGBTQ adolescents and We can go on about how they have significantly more stigma and barriers to accessing to care. But something that I do think is gaining more awareness in the industry, as you pointed out, is that these community organizations, various CBOs, a lot of the times they are reaching the populations we're trying to reach. That's right. Better 
than traditional healthcare systems. So we're absolutely looking to partner with them, work with them and support their work. Because they are doing the work and, and oftentimes they're doing it better, but yet they don't, they're not first here for getting the funds. And that's part of this whole movement to sort of change and realign the way we look at the distribution of funds for serving these populations. So that's really exciting. Oh, this is so exciting. So how long will the effort go? If somebody applies for a grant and they get funded, are these multi-year grants or does it vary? Right now, we have three different tracks, operating grants for the direct service providers, surge capacity grants for the direct service providers, as well as the grants for the system enablers. And for system enablers, we are flexible on whatever tactic they want to use to deliver out their mission, which might be through a piece of software, policy, a communications campaign, just so long as they fall into one of our key focus areas, whether that might be expanding the mental health workforce, mental health service integration into schools and other community-based organizations, expanded use of digital tools and telehealth services, which could include actual access to device and internet access, public financing of mental health services, and stigma reduction and mental health awareness. For now, we are, for each category, these are going to be one-year non-renewable grants. But as we, I should mention, this is a collaborative fund. And as we onboard more partners, hopefully we can continue to expand that. Very exciting. Solome, why do you do what you do? Because this is my life. I am living this experience too. And I have been since I was a teenager. From the moment I first struggled with obsessive compulsive disorder and panic attacks, the experience is still alive and well for me. And, and I, at the same time, I know how common it is too. So to be able to reduce barriers to access to mental health, that is truly saving lives and for so many lives. Can you go back in time a little bit? I'm always fascinated with someone like you because you're incredibly accomplished and in this space. What turned the switch? What was it that got you to go from, as you describe in your TED Talk, counting I needed to do this four times or this three times, and but not six or seven? And what turned the switch for you where you said, you know what, I need to talk about this, or I need to share my experience, or I need to figure out a way to make this more bearable or better uh, for others? I would say the anxiety and OCD, that started for me around middle school. And first with panic attacks about something bad happening to a family member, it evolved to more obsessive compulsive disorder symptoms. And I remember feeling so completely isolated in what I was experiencing when family members or friends would ask and try to be helpful and try to understand what I was going through, it wasn't even as much about being embarrassed or, or shame. It was just like, I don't even know how to articulate this experience to you. So that was really challenging for me. But at the same time, I remember I was the type of teenager that on the weekends, I would ask to go to Barnes & Noble and sit in the corner of the self-help section to read as much as I possibly could about anxiety disorders, about OCD. And 
I remember searching the web and I thought, why can't more teens access information like this? Psychoeducation was so powerful for me in my management and recovery of my symptoms. And so it just, I didn't think much of it. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to start a blog called anxietyandteens.org where other teens could share their stories too. Yeah. And just like that. <laughs> Superstar. Yeah, my goodness. So you start the blog. Now, wait a minute. It's not just like that. You, so you start the blog and then what happened? Yeah, I, I started the blog. I think our very first iteration was like Yahoo business pages that my cousin Kelly helped me set up. And yeah, I was curating stories from others. This is, wow, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. We were using forums, which is most teens today on Snapchat probably have no idea what that experience was like, but forums, talking about different conditions. And over time, it evolved such that when I eventually went to college, I started a a service learning program where other college students could basically write about their experiences, share their perspective for other stakeholders, other teens, parents, families, and so on. And then we started hosting events and building a nice community. Keep yourself in that age, Solome, and for somebody listening who might be at that age now, 18, 19, whatever, what would your advice to them be? Because I know there'll be a lot of people out there who say, yeah, I go through that. What would you tell them? I would say Every time I experienced a panic attack, I thought, oh, for sure, this is the one. I'm going to die. I know I've been through this plenty of times before, but really, this one's so intense. But the reality is that my experience was not so unique, and I wasn't so complicated that a clinician couldn't help me. It was just a matter of finding the right fit in terms of the treatment that I had to get the right combination of therapist or medication and self-care routine. And in time, you will be able to manage it. These conditions are very manageable. It just takes a, a little time and effort. For me, the measure of a leader is the context of their story on how they have come to the point they've come to. And, and so for me, context and for our listeners understanding the context of who you are and what shape you're obviously you're very tech savvy because you use forums. I use slate and chalk is <laughs> and and there's nothing wrong with that, but you're so much more than that. You obviously have this driving core component. I know this is going to be on the mind of our listeners. How in the world does somebody who is experiencing panic attacks and OCD do a TED talk because you did a TED talk in 2011, which is where I first virtually met you, I guess is how we would say. It was where I first learned about you. How did you get the, that scares the living daylights out of me. Yeah. I think about that too, because I was not nervous at all for that presentation, surprisingly. And I think what I kept telling myself at the time was, this is my story. I'm just going to tell it. Who else is going to know it better than me? And no one's going to tell me I'm wrong. And I have important information to share. I know that there are other students in the audience at the time that will be able to relate to what I'm saying, or maybe family members will be hearing it for the first time and need to hear it. 
And I felt that pressure, but I also felt equipped to share it because I had been living it for however many years up until this point. Key takeaway. This is your story. Nobody else can tell it better than you. That's really huge. Back in June, you ran a conference just because you weren't busy enough with life. You hold this uh, virtual conference on mental health. And I just, I'm just so fascinated. I wish I had attended. I didn't. So you got to tell me, what was that like? Because in June, I mean, it's not like we're any more equipped now, but the entire universe flipped up on its head. And I thought, how brilliant to provide an opportunity in a virtual space for people to discuss important issues. But I'm curious, how did it go and what were some of the key learnings? Yeah, thanks so much. And for those who missed out, all of the sessions are still available for free for anyone to access. So how did the Going Digital Behavioral Health Tech Summit come to be? Over the last decade, really, the intersection of behavioral health and technology has been a major passion area and area of focus for me. After starting Anxiety in Teens, I got a little taste of mental health, technology, entrepreneurship. And when I went to college, junior year, I started a mental health tech startup. And this is back in Minneapolis, didn't have much of a network. I was able to find a seed funder and some clinicians and programmers to help me build the various modules of online CBT for patients and analytics for providers. I partnered with some partial day and residential programs for adolescents and adults. It was a great experience. 20-year-old me really underestimated what launching an enterprise healthcare startup entailed, so it didn't pan out much. But I, I say all that to say that now, 10 years later, there are thousands of these various mental health tech startups and and solutions. And really in the last few years, the space has exploded. And ever since starting that startup, I ended up working for small startups, large behavioral health software company. I worked as an investor at a couple different early stage venture funds, investing in digital health and mental health solutions. And so I've been able to see how the market has evolved. And for the last few years, I've consulted pretty much all stakeholders in the space about behavioral health tech, whether that's funds, foundations, health plans, health systems, vendors. And it's a really exciting time for behavioral health technology. And just as I said earlier, finally getting some adoption. Unfortunately, a pandemic is what had to take to get us here. But it occurred to me that earlier this year, all of the conferences were going to get canceled. And yet, there is a huge need to talk about this topic of virtual behavioral health, digital mental health solutions, and connect with all stakeholders and share knowledge to get this all done together. So I thought, okay, I guess it's going to be me because there wasn't one out there. How did it go? Oh, it went great. I'm really pleased. I I was hoping maybe it'd just be like 10 sessions and hopefully 100 people would show up. But we had 70 sessions, three tracks, 2,500 registrants, and some amazing speakers and represented in the entire ecosystem. And uh, you said people can access. And where do they do that? Where do they access it? Yep. If you go to behavioralhealthtech.com, you just sign up again at no cost and 
you can go ahead and access that. And I really thought it, it was important to make sure that everyone could access this content, whether early stage startup entrepreneur or anyone just interested in dabbling in the space. You just talked a little bit about these, just the many things you've done since since 20, whether it's starting up an organization, working for other organizations, involved in investment. I would love to have all of the people who hired you or who partnered with you over that 10-year period in a room, because the question I'd ask them is, okay, what was the one thing that this individual brought to the table that made you say yes? So I'm going to ask you that question to answer for them, Okay. I would like to hope that they would say that consistently I had the focus and passion to advance behavioral health access and innovation, whatever forum that would be. And this is really hard work. And so you really need somebody who is committed to it and open to connect all stakeholders. And I would hope that's what they would say. And, and why would they say that? What would give them that indication? I think they would say that because... Beyond a resume. Dig, Sullivan. Dig. (sighs) Oh, this isn't easy for me. I mean, it's nice to hear the connections that have been made from my my conference. For example, people meeting from different walks of life that are now working on partnerships to expand behavioral health access and services. For the last several years, my colleague, Dr. Steve Ramsley, and I have written the Rethink Behavioral Health Innovation newsletter. And every single month we come out with behavioral health tech startup news, fundings, partnerships. Granted, it isn't weekly, so not quite on your level, Scott, but it's fun to see people consistently getting their information from that source. And so I think it's been meaningful. So here's what I think they would say. Everything I've watched you do or read about you, I sense a humbleness. And I think that's what I meant. The reason I wanted to get a sense for our listeners of Solome at 18 or 19, who was really trying to figure it out and how consistently you, it it just feels like a grounding that you carry with you. That's going to be my guess. And maybe one day I'll meet some of these people and I'll say, all right, answer that question. But that's what I get. And I think that's critical. There's a lot of people who can make a splash, but the staying power of staying grounded to your truth, to your spirit, to your to your values and principles. And I'm going to guess that's why you were asked to lead this new effort. Thanks so much, Scott. That means a lot. Yeah, I, th- I, I, I really think so. Rethink uh, Behavior Health Innovation was next on my list. How did that come into being? How did that come to be? Like I do with most people I meet, I stumbled upon Steve on LinkedIn and read his amazing background uh, as an early leader at various MBHOs and then executive at CMHCs over the years. And, and then his focus on digital technologies and mental health insisted that we had to meet. So we did. We had lunch in San Francisco one afternoon, ended up staying there for a few hours and decided at the end of that meeting, we should start a newsletter. Had no idea where it was going to go. And, but here we are. And it's been a resource for various stakeholders, as I said, but also brought a lot of opportunities for both of us. Yes. Oh, that is, that, that, that's great. That seems to be your MO. Stumble into it and make it happen, huh? <laughs> for better or worse, yes. You're obviously very involved in the mental health space. 
What's your message to our listeners who, for the most part, are also very involved in the mental health space about how to navigate this really turbulent time we're in? We have the whole political storm that's going on. We have COVID. We have climate change. And we have all these things going on. And you're about to embark on an effort to really ramp up in a holistic way, is the way I think of of services for a population of this country that is historically underserved. And all that gets amplified with all that's going on. What's your message to people in this space? What should we be doing? Yeah, for all the reasons you just listed, this work has become even more challenging this year. And really for the providers or organizations that are leading efforts to be able to continue the good work that you're doing, I do hope that as an industry, we can recognize that the service providers are people too, and we have to make sure that they're getting the care and support they need every day as they navigate with impacted budgets as a result of COVID, even more issues every day, as you're saying, what's happening with the racial injustices in our country. There's a lot of issues going on right now, and that just makes their jobs doubly hard. So finally, let's circle back. I want you to give us this such exciting news. Once again, we let the cat out of the bag at the beginning of the show, but now let's let's bring it home with, tell us again, what is up? Yes. So the big news is, just as I mentioned, all that's happened this year in 2020 The pandemic has impacted adolescents of color and LGBTQ adolescents so significantly. And as a result, we saw that as an opportunity to launch the Upswing Fund, which is a collaborative philanthropic fund that's been seed funded by Pivotal Ventures, which is Melinda Gates' personal office and investment company to be able to support all stakeholders who are serving adolescent mental health and well-being. So I'm really excited about that news. What I love about doing this podcast is you just get an opportunity to interact and engage with the most amazing people on the planet. And uh, Solome Tibibu is one of those people. I'm grateful to you for the work you do. And it's just been a real delight. Thank you so much. Thanks, Scott. The feeling is mutual. Oh, my goodness. Folks, what can I say? Uh, Just another amazing opportunity to share time with one of the most innovative, creative, uplifting individuals on the planet. Solome Tibibu, thank you so much for honoring us with your presence on the Optimistic Advocate podcast and allowing us to share right out of the gate the incredible news about the Upswing Fund for Adolescent Mental Health. Big props to the generous support from Pivotal Ventures, an investment and incubation company created by Melinda Gates to advance social progress in the United States. This is called putting your resources where it can do the most good. And I'm, I'm just so excited to see how this develops. And I want to encourage all of our listeners, check out the website, which is theupswingfund.org. Solome, solid job. Just a solid job. All right. 
Folks, another fantastic episode of The Optimistic Advocate. You know what to do. Let us know what you think about this episode. Subscribe if you haven't already. Oh, my goodness. Yes, you got to subscribe. And be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Everything that's been discussed today will be in the show notes so you can learn more information. And if this fits with what you're doing, if you meet the criteria, we want to see you apply. We want to see your innovative spirit carry forward over the next year and beyond. All right. This is Scott Bryant Comstock, the Optimistic Advocate. See ya.